0: This is the BizWest Podcast, a rundown of the news and trends driving business in Northern Colorado and the Boulder Valley. I'm Dan Micah. Support for this podcast comes from First American Exchange Company. From simple 1031 exchanges to the most complex, First American has built their reputation on expertise, financial strength, and customer satisfaction. They have the right local team in place with a national presence. If you own investment real estate and have questions about exchanges or how they work, or would like to open up an exchange, please contact Trish Mac at 720-584-6835 or TMAC at firstam.com. And for more info, www.firstexchange.com. This this week, we are revisiting the Northern Colorado Real Estate Summit that BizWest held. Uh, and in particular, we are looking back at our conversation about affordable housing, uh, whether you are buying a home, trying to rent a property in Loveland, Fort Collins, Greeley, or anywhere else in Larimer or Weld County. before the look at the market right now, we have Mike Welty, Vice President of Homebuilding at Hartford Homes.
1: Um, you know, as Kim said, there's, there's a lot of affordability issues going on both sides of, um, you know, the rental side and then also the single family um, and the ownership side as well. So, really, when we look at this issue and we kind of look at the challenge, um, you know, we're going to kind of start with sizing it from the individual, what, what the individual um, person basically going out in the northern Colorado market today has to, has to face and has to challenge when they're trying to find affordable housing. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little in, a, um, in some future slides. But there is a difference between attainable housing and affordable housing. And right now, when you look at the month of supply of inventory in Northern Colorado, as we kind of came out of this post-COVID um, uh, basically pandemic, obviously there was very little supply. Very little people were putting their house on the market. And so even the attainable market, which was that three hundred to four hundred thousand dollar price point. Um, really, there's just no supply out there. So builders like ourselves um, obviously had a little bit of um, uh, basically some uh, – we had inventory homes and we, have, we had things available, so we did very well over the last couple months. Um, whereas you kind of basically, if you look at what really affordable housing is, affordable housing is under that $300,000 price point, anywhere from that two to three, and in some cases in that $200,000 price point. Um, so obviously, you know a lot of real estate companies a lot of like the group as you see on this slide here They don't even really track the affordable housing uh, metrics as much um, I talked to Robert Crow, who's with Remax max Alliance up here in northern, Colorado um, and he said that basically from um, in the last 12 months there was only 124 homes listed in all of Larimer County in um, that affordable price range from that 200 to 300,000 so really when you look at sizing the challenge with, um, with an individual person heading out on the market, there's just not a lot of supply right now, especially with what happened with COVID. And then really just, there's just not a lot of supply in the market in general with people listing their houses. Um, so obviously is in a common theme that we'll talk about is that as supply is restricted and as there's less supply out in the market, obviously it's, it gets very, very difficult for any builder or for any buyer to basically attain affordable housing and really put a huge dent in it. Um, As we hit to the next slide, there's a lot to unpack here. So really, if we kind of size the challenge, let's say in a Fort Collins market, and really what that looks like for a builder to build an affordable house. Right now, this example shows um, two different bar graphs. So basically, um, in Fort Collins, we have a community called Mosaic. Um, We've got single family detached homes, um, which you see our average sales price there is 425. And we have townhomes, uh, our average sales price is at $360,000 right there. so really, what is affordable or what do most cities deem as kind of that affordable um, affordable metric? And really, most cities or most municipalities really look at affordable housing as that AMI of 80% or less. So that area media income um, is in that 80% range or possibly even lower, closer to that 60% range. Um, so if you really look right off the bat, if you've got someone who's looking for affordable housing who wants certain options, not only they're dealing with a supply issue but you can just see you know basically at 80 80%, 80% the average uh, area median income example would be at $270,000 purchase price um, if you go all the way down to 60% which some of our um, some of our cities are requiring you're basically looking at housing at 185,000 essentially so also this example is based on a four person household obviously if you're if you have someone who has um, maybe just one son or one daughter and maybe it's a two-person household or a single person who basically doesn't um, Basically who uh, you know is really just working on that one income uh, Obviously that amount, that amount and that uh, threshold is going to be even lower. Also. We've got considered in this um, Scenario that essentially uh, this is at 30% of the buyer's income uh, Obviously, you know most buyers come in and most buyers whether they're looking for attainable housing affordable housing, most buyers come in with some level of debt. So we kind of had to be realistic as well on the example and say that only 30% of their income would go to housing, which obviously is not always the case. Um, So really, as you look at this graph, you can see the different gaps at the 80% AMI or the 80% area media income. We've got a $165,000 gap for the single family. If we were as a builder to try to build affordable housing, we have a uh, $90,000 gap on townhomes. You drop down to the sixty percent. It's really easy to see that the gap widens. Uh, the gap's at two hundred and forty thousand for single family. If we were to, as Hartford Homes, to try to build that house, or one hundred and seventy-five for townhomes. So really, what this comes out to be then is that this, um, you know, if you look at different municipalities and different cities and what they're trying to accomplish, um, you know, the city of Fort Collins uh, has a great program where by twenty forty they're trying to attain ten percent affordable housing in the city. Um, So really, when you kind of break down those numbers, um, by 2040, uh, the city of Fort Collins will have probably a guesstimate of around 87,000, 88,000 homes. Uh, Basically, the 10% affordability target would be 8,700. And then really right now, there's about 3,000 in in Fort Collins already. So essentially, we need to build close to 5,500 to 6,000 more houses over the next 20 years. When you consider an average gap of $175,000, this really does turn into a billion-dollar challenge um, for the city of Fort Collins, for developers, and really just for everybody who's trying to partner together to uh, create that or basically close that gap in the affordable housing piece of it. And it's it's really something that um, obviously there's a lot of money there, and there's there's a lot to do. So as Kim talked about with the affordability with rent, it's you know in in single family and in the Um, ownership piece of uh, housing it's really um, not getting any easier right now with prices and with costs. everything where they're at so really we'll dive into this a little bit further but the solution really what is the solution and really the the big solution on our end what um, you know as a developer is we look at is that it really needs to be a partnership between all the municipalities and, and really the builders ourselves like Hartford homes and other builders here in northern Colorado um you know one thing that you know we do as a builder is you know being able to build metro districts really is able to kind of keep is basically able to keep pricing and costs down of the home which helps subsidize the community um if there's lower development fees for the builder that makes it easier for us to come in as well um and then really you know what we'll do is as a builder is we'll tighten our margins so if we have that um reciprocal relationship where we're basically, everybody's chipping in, then usually what the builders will do is we'll, um, we'll basically tighten the margins on that. And then really the last piece of it, which again, we'll talk about is, um, is just really the um, attainability of housing and easing the restrictions. So there's just more supply on the market. Um, You know, there's been a lot of different builders who've built some affordable stuff up in Northern Colorado and really getting a little bit more density, really being able to build smaller floor plans at an affordable price really helps everybody um, basically kind of attain that. Um, Through our partnership here at Hartford Homes, uh, one of the things we've done here in the last uh, couple years is uh, we had a project in Loveland called Enchantment Ridge Condos, and essentially the way we were able to make that work, uh, talking about the partnership, is that we were locked into 1999 rates um, for permits and fees. Uh, we essentially tightened our margins and basically 20% of those units were affordable housing. So, um, And then really essentially what the city did for us is that 100% of our permit fees were discounted. So we basically um, were able to really lower the prices of those 20% units, get them into the, um, that high $100,000 price point, um, and then really be, be able to basically catch up with the rest of the, um, basically make more money on the rest of the units on the 80% of the project. Um, Over the next five years, we basically have committed to build 10 homes of Fort Collins Habitat for Humanity. So We're really excited about that. And then also um, future projects that we have, which is uh, one of our new communities that's going to be coming online here in the next few years, is our Mulberry location. Um, Really, the goal there is to have 15% um, affordable housing there. Um, Some of that's going to be rent. Some of that's going to be single family. And then again, really with um, with a larger density and really being able to bring in a new product, we do have a goal of um, around thirteen hundred dollars attainable or thirteen hundred attainable units there as well. So, really, in short, and to kind of summarize, the um, the solution is really just a partnership between all all the parties. But it's as Kim said, it's not something that's really going to be solved overnight, and it is becoming a, a bigger issue with um, with the. With just the state of the union right now with uh, real estate in Northern Colorado.
0: The BizWest podcast is supported by DaVinci Sign Systems, a custom signage manufacturing firm serving the entire Rocky Mountain region, creating custom architectural and electronic signage for retail businesses, churches, schools, and financial institutions since 2004. Online at daVinciSign.com. Next, we have a conversation between the entire panel about what they think needs to be done in order to make housing more affordable across the region. We've already heard from Mike Welty at Hartford Homes. He'll be returning for this. Uh, you'll also be hearing from Tasha Power, a Berghill Greenleaf Rashidi partner who moderated the conversation, along with Kim Duty, a senior VP at the National Multifamily Housing Council, and Kristen Fritz, chief real estate developer at Housing Catalyst, the public housing agency in Fort Collins.
2: Um, So as we sit here today, and I'll just open this up to, to, you know, to the panel as a whole. Um, As we sit here today, um, what are the biggest hurdles that you see um, in solving the affordable housing dilemma and and how can those be addressed?
3: I can offer you some thoughts, Tasha. You know, I think the biggest dilemma is going to be the income problem. I mean, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out how you can bend the cost curve to deliver at a price point that working families can afford. And whether that's through technology, regulatory reform, zoning reform, I mean, there's a lot of levers to pull. But ultimately, you know, when you've got stagnant and decreasing wages um, and you've got one in four households that qualifies for a housing voucher actually gets one, um, at some point, we're gonna have to decide that we're investing in housing. Um, and, and that we're going to address the income side of it as well as the, as the supply side of it.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Kim. Um, you know, I think with, with house prices rising, you know, over the last 10 years, the, really what you look at is the depth of affordability, right, in, in every single market. You know, when you go into a, a different city, you know, Fort Collins, Loveland, Frederick, Firestone – you know, really as prices continue to go up, you know, the depth of what that um, affordability looks like and how many people actually in those cities can afford, um, you know, attainable housing and then even just affordable housing gets really, really difficult in the numbers, um, you know, in terms of what that depth actually looks like and how many people are there um, at those price points just becomes, it does get a little bit harder and harder. I think, um, you know, we've, we've touched on it a few points, but in terms of just um, you know, getting more, getting more homes in the pipeline and really just having more access to housing and really just easing restrictions um, is really going to be one thing that helps. Uh, we talked about water, obviously water prices as well, and then, um, and then not to beat a dead horse but then the metro district piece. So um, it is really one of those things where, um, you know, attainable housing is hard enough for, for builders, whereas you get to affordable housing, it's just, it's very, very difficult where we're at right now.
4: Yeah, I think those are great points and we, you know, we've talked about the zoning and the regulation and the lack of resources, but I think on a bigger picture level, one of the things that I would be interested to see is just a real mind shift in terms of what housing is. Is housing part of our public infrastructure? I mean, there's a lot of discussion around that. And if it is, that opens up a whole other resource um, and funding availability. Um, What about the connection to housing and health? There's a lot of studies and a lot of momentum in terms of how housing has a significant contribution on both physical and mental health. Um, And so, what are the health resources that are out there? What are the partnerships that are available? Um, I think those are some of the big picture thoughts and considerations um, that we all should probably start thinking about in terms of how critical housing is to our community infrastructure and health.
3: You know, Kristen, I think that's an excellent point. And I think this pandemic has underscored the degree to which housing is healthcare. Um, we would never have been able to appreciate. And we've certainly had a lot of talks at the federal level with, you know, if you could sufficiently house more of our population, um, what kind of reduction in healthcare expenses would you see? And how do you redirect those resources into preventive main care, which would be providing sufficient housing? Um, and- Another point about housing is infrastructure. You know, we've jokingly had multiple infrastructure weeks over the last four years. Um, We continue to operate at the federal level that, you know, housing needs to be part of any infrastructure bill that moves forward. And we're actively working with Congress again, now that there's talk that um, part of the COVID relief uh, legislative response would be an infrastructure bill and that it absolutely has to include housing as part of that.
2: What role, and again, I'll open this up to the panel, what role do you think public education plays in this process? Is that still kind of a necessary component or, you know, has the affordability crisis, um, you know, become a mainstream enough issue that um, public education doesn't need as much focus as say it once did?
3: We have devoted most of our effort to public education. I mean, that's sort of the, the idea behind the toolkit um, is to help have those conversations in an, in an informed way. And public education, I mean, you're either nimbyism is a huge problem. I'm sure Kristen faces it in most of her developments. And it's fear, fear of the unknown, the traffic, the crime, the school children. I mean, we can, you know, we can refute all of that with information, but most of those objections, in my opinion, are emotional, not um, a lack of education. I think where the education can really be useful is at the policymaker level. You know, they, a lot of policymakers don't understand, you know, if you enact this, you're adding $15 a month to the rent. Now add this one and it's another $20. Now add this and it's another $30. And so, um, if we can get people to understand how development works and what, what goes into rent and how to, to really shrink the gap that, that Kristen was showing, I think that's probably the most effective um, education you can do because when those policymakers are emboldened with information, they're going to be more likely to push back on the community that is opposing development for emotional reasons and not intellectual ones.
4: I think that's exactly right we see at the local level in our community surveys that affordable housing is top issue that people care about are concerned about um, when it comes into their neighborhood nimby does take over and we you know we we face that head on um we're still successful with our developments so i'm actually very impressed with this, um, with the Fort Collins community and their ability to really um, accept affordable housing, once they get more educated, folks are more educated and informed about um, exactly what it is and who we're serving. Um, but I think you know the policy, the education around how everything has an impact on affordability, um, I think is really critical. I think as we just keep adding costs. Um, to housing, it's gonna get harder and harder to deliver it in an affordable way.
2: Thank you, everyone. I'm gonna, um, we've got some questions from the audience that I'm gonna go through now. Um, The first one is directed at Kristen. Um, With regards to zoning and density, how can the city reconcile its policy dilemma that pits neighborhood preservation against compact infill development?
4: So I think the city of Fort Collins does a great job on the design standard and regulation side. And I think there is a misconception that density means negative impact and that it can't be compatible with the neighborhood. There are a lot of great examples of higher density projects that fit and are compatible with neighborhoods. So I think we need to sort of overcome that concern that those two are really in conflict. I think we can do it in a way that is sensitive and contextual and I think the fear of density, when we show examples of what we're talking about at 20 and 30 per u- units per acre, it is, not, it is not as scary as what people have, um, what their sort of um, ideas around density are. So I think there's a real community conversation around density that needs to happen, and I think imagery and examples um, are really helpful in that.
2: Thank you. Okay. Next question. Um, Are there examples of any municipalities across the country solving affordability at scale?
3: Really good question. Um, I think the scale is going to come through the reform. I think the private sector is going to have to be a partner in solving this and I think I think that's the problem with housing affordability is there's no single solution right there's a thousand things that you can do to shave costs off the production and the operation of housing um, and I think the places like Minneapolis um, like Oregon like California that are that are really embracing now is the time to make a difference um, are going to show the way for other people. And I think they're also going to show, um, maybe counteract some of that fear that when you do something like eliminate single-family zoning, you don't change the character of your community in a year. Um, people don't rush in and try to build high-rises next to single-family houses. Um, but I think, I think it's just because it's such an intractable and complex problem um, that nobody's figured out the, the silver bullet magic solution. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of different people coming together and tackling it from a lot of different directions. And to Mike's point, it's not just about rental, it's about homeownership. Um, it's, it's about the entire housing continuum and trying to figure out um, where we can, you know, nip and tuck and, and trim at the edges.
2: Okay, and the, and the next question kind of touches on, on the same topic, um, what are the greatest regulatory uh, slash zoning barriers to affordable housing density and parking <laughs>
4: um, the limitation on density and it varies across our land use code. Certain zone districts are very specific on the terms in terms of number of units per acre. other zone districts are limited by height and by parking. all of those things add cost um, so I think there are um, you know there's and the city has you know gone through an effort to really audit its zoning code and try and look and see um you know are there places that we can make shifts and i think the answer to that question through that process was yes there is and um, the next step is now we need to do it um i think there is recognition that there are there are there's opportunity within the land use code that could um, provide some relief but i in terms of our experience it's really the limitation on density and height and parking that has impact.
1: Yeah, from the single family um, affordable piece of it, it's really just the timing on projects and then the risk, um, like I had said a little bit earlier. So really when you look at it, I mean, we have a couple projects that are in production right now. um, And, you know, for one, we've had to find partners to to finance with us or, you know, usually our business model is we'll have some other builders come in and purchase some lots to, to basically help ease the burden. But, you know, when you're initially looking at developing a, a, a site, you know, you're two or three years out. So not only with just certain regulations and certain things that builders kind of have basically have to go through, um, you know, both Kim and Kristen have talked a lot about adding costs and everything, add costs to the bottom line. And so, um, you know, basically when, when we, when we um, put new projects in with different municipalities um, you know, if, if you want, Certain things in that municipality and you want the builder or the developer to basically foot that bill that's usually going to end up being passed down to the homeowner in terms of um, It could be the exterior of the house. It could be, you know, what the development looks like in terms of um, Just really just the, um, the, de- the development piece of what it costs to go in to build the landscape and the infrastructure it- different things like that. So really on our end, it's just, it's the timing and the risk uh, because when you're spending millions of dollars um, and you basically, we do as much analysis as we can and we try to figure out what's a good purchase price and really what's an attainable purchase price or an affordable purchase price. We're really at that point, just taking the market in a snapshot of time. And we really you know, obviously can't predict where the market's going to be in three years. So with with the regulation of with basically trying to get projects out of the ground in a two or three year period, being able to ease a lot of those restrictions or um, be able to get communities and get houses up quicker is really going to ease that supply restriction that I kind of showed earlier on that slide, which will make housing more affordable, which, you know, will allow trades to kind of basically bring their price down so they can because they're building more houses. It it really is just a trickle down effect to everything within the infrastructure of, um, you know, affordable and attainable housing and and really just trying to make, make, you know, ease that up for everybody is like Kim said, this really has to be a focus from so many different directions.
3: Well, you know, and Kristen mentioned parking and I think that's a really underappreciated cost center for at least for multifamily. Um, when we sat down a few years ago and said, okay, if we were going to create the playbook of how, you know, what is the ideal policy look like? Um, we started talking about things like buy right development and density bonuses and, you know, really big picture issues. Um, and then on like number seven on the list was parking. And I remember having a conversation with somebody in our office who's like, parking, like that seems really in the weeds. We're like, no, if you ask developers how they can cut the cost to deliver a lower price part product, they're going to start with things like parking. Um, and then the other thing is going back to the infrastructure conversation. I think it's also underappreciated the degree to which our developers are funding our infrastructure because our regulators are not. Um, and so, you know, we're we're being called on to do the sewer lines and the and the extra uh, lanes of, of traffic or the egress and egress, ingress and egress from the street. Um, and really, it's just a way to offload those infrastructure costs because the country isn't investing in it and the federal government hasn't invested in it. And if we can get those, those, flows, those funds flowing, I think you'd see a, an impact on housing affordability.
0: That'll do it for this week's episode. This podcast was produced by me, Dan Micah, with assistance from Lucas High. If you have comments or questions, we'd love to hear it. You can email us at news at bizwest.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need to catch up on all the news in Northern Colorado and the Boulder Valley business scene, please consider subscribing to us at www.bizwest.com. We can't do what we do without your support. Our intro and outro music is The Old RV by Craig MacArthur. And from everyone here at BizWest Media, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Today's podcast is brought to you by FMS Bank. Banking made simple with locations in Greeley and Fort Morgan. FMS provides banking that makes sense and makes life simple with personalized financial solutions for business and individuals. Visit fmsbank.com.